welcome back to Boilers Extra. No, no soundtrack for today's podcast, <laughs> as opposed to what we heard in the post game wrap up Saturday. I'm not, I'm not bitter. Me, pipe music in here. Yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, I heard some Eagles in there. Heard some bare naked ladies. It's kind of just like the same food that Applebee's serves is the same kind of music that they play. It's, uh, well, it's bland. It's not too far out there. It's we're trying to find a convenient location. Uh, you know, that I'm not was bitter. open till one a.m. I'm not bitter, but. I got a hamburger and some chili. It's good chili. You could have got a hamburger. And Mike DeFabo gets, uh, what was it, chicken and shrimp and some kind of, he got a feast. He did. Well, he got, compared to what you had. Yeah. So. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Okay. Well, we'll see what, uh, see it happen Saturday. All right. (laughs) I know what happened Saturday. We get the pizza on the back ledge of the press box. That's true. But it'd probably just be a rolling podcast on. On Saturday, if we, if we, you know, we, I can, I can hook us up in Indianapolis. I know some places now. Now that I've been residing there for a few months, and okay. If, if, if that, uh, if I've been trying to get, so they have these places all over Indianapolis that are just called Steak and Lemonade. I don't, is that just an Indianapolis thing? Because I see them all over the place there, but I don't see them anywhere else. I never heard of it. Steak and Lemonade, and there's like various like iterations of it. Like it's like Johnny's Steak and Lemonade, and then like Eastside Steak and Lemonade. Can I get a T-bone and a lemonade? I don't know. I haven't been in yet because my significant other is terrified of them. She thinks they're uh, kind of grimy and not. Uh, they don't look like reputable places. But are, I think I'm going to do. I'm going to start a blog that just reviews all the steak and lemonade places are, around Indianapolis. Are they fronts for the mob? They're, possibly. <laughs> but I've had some pretty good food at places over my life that I think were probably organized crime fronts. Right, I think speak, there's something to be said. All for right. That. Speaking of food, with Thanksgiving coming up, uh-huh. let's say that uh, all the Thanksgiving dishes are. Uh, draft eligible. What is your number one pick? I, I mean, I still think turkey is just the Babe Ruth of Thanksgiving. It's okay. just the, it's just the whatever the 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 Michael Jordan of Thanksgiving. It's it's the the number one thing. Um, then you start getting into very specific. Like my mom makes great like homemade noodles. Like she makes them herself. She doesn't buy them at the store. She labors over these things for a couple days, and that I think makes. Is, is a huge factor. It's like the X factor of Thanksgiving. Right. Well, it helps round out your draft. Right. And your It's roster. a great complimentary piece. <laughs> right. Like, you can't really have the noodles without the mashed potatoes, but you almost can't have the mashed potatoes without the noodles. It's like point. it's like the NFL draft, where everybody needs a quarterback, wants a quarterback, and usually takes a quarterback, which equals to turkey. Right. But then, sometimes you have other needs or other cravings at that mm-hmm. point, so maybe your first pick isn't necessarily the turkey, where you're then, but you want to, you kind of want to steer off a little bit. But like you said, every every family has a special right. dish that it, it, they're drawn to. In, right. In your case, the noodles. In other cases, it might be the stuffing. It might be a different kind of stuffing. See, somebody goes stuffing. Somebody goes <laughs> dressing. We're a dressing right. family, which is right. just like soggy bread that gets baked or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. But right. and then there's people who do oyster dressing. Right. Like there's all these little variants. Right. Or you, or uh, there's there's the cranberry sauce that probably shouldn't be a top pick, but may get elevated. Right. Depending on You can't win without it. Right. Well right. It's like, you know, you need you need to be strong up the middle. It's like yeah, or like a middle reliever in baseball. Cranberry like sauce you, is probably like a kicker in a way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like there's not you that, need one. right. You need not, one. They're not that special necessarily. Right. You don't need to have a great kicker to right. win, but right. you're going to have to kick field goals. But then, you know, and you, extra points. You also usually have a green bean casserole type of thing hanging around on yeah. the, the table, Something or like maybe that. some mac and cheese, or 
other other supplementary dishes. The hot new rookie in the Baird family Thanksgiving is going to be roasted Brussels sprouts, which I've just recently discovered are incredible. Okay, and that's what Haley and I are taking to Thanksgiving. It's kind of like the new NFL, which it's not really not the new NFL. Because last night, when you're if you're watching that NFL game, everybody said, "Well, this is the new NFL." I'm like, no, this is the NFL. This is the way it is. And, right. and they were debating this morning whether this was the best regular season game ever. And I'm like, no. How many turnovers were there? Yeah, that was, I mean, <laughs> well, I will say it was a very interesting game. I was, I was. How many penalties that. were there? I mean, there were a bunch of penalties. Yeah, and, but it was a it was a bizarre game in that both teams couldn't stop scoring whether they were on offense or defense because right. you had defensive touchdowns going the other way too. Like every time I looked up, somebody was scoring right. one way or the other. It was, it, it was, was an entertaining game. And yeah. I, I usually don't watch the Monday night game unless my team's involved. Uh, and it was an entertaining game and there were a lot of big plays and a lot of wow moments and just that happened type of type of thing. And it was, you know, both teams got in the fifties, but they got in the fifties because of three defensive touchdowns yeah. <laughs> and some other crazy things right that happen i mean th- but this is the way it, it was entertaining and that's what the nfl wants and i'll be curious what the tv ratings well, i was out of that i was convinced that game was going to overtime too when Should've. the chiefs had the ball back and we're and all i had to do was go down and get a field goal i thought for sure that game was going to overtime right. all right well we talked about food we talked about the nfl what yeah. else what else is <laughs> well there? let's talk about another high scoring game <laughs> and, and what that means for purdue we're gonna get to that in a minute um, the, the Purdue's triple overtime loss to Wisconsin, 47-44 from Saturday. Uh, we'll wrap, you guys already wrapped that up pretty well um, from the postgame podcast, so everyone should you know subscribe and go back and find that. Um, the other thing I want, we should get out of the way first, though, is the Jeff Brom situation that continues to kind of hang over things. I don't think there's going to be a lot of new discussion this week. I think there's going to be a lot of focus on Partially because it's going to be a lot of focus on the bucket game Saturday. It's win or go home for both of these teams. But it's also just there's nothing new to say. There's probably nothing new that's going to be credibly reported this week as to any progress one way or the other here. I think everything is probably in a holding pattern until Saturday. And I think it. I didn't watch that game Saturday and think this was a team that was distracted. No. I thought it was a team that played poorly in some aspects and played great in some other aspects uh, individually. But I didn't. I, I I didn't think it was necessarily a matter of of a, a distraction there, and I thought they would probably be pretty focused. Actually, coming off of having looked pretty unfocused the week before at Minnesota, and we also we made a big and you you wrote about how it was Brahms' job to make sure it wasn't a distraction, and a lot of that I think falls on. It's not just so much he has to go to each guy and make some have some sort of a summit. It's more about the whole staff that you know you need to go to your position coaches your coordinators, and that filters down from there. They have to make sure they're position groups. And that's that's kind of the task again this week. But they also, again, it's the last game of the college careers for some of these guys. It's a, it's it's essentially a playoff game, a, a winner-take-all game. Um, there's a lot to focus on that has nothing to do with Jeff Brom's job status. Correct. And, I, you know, I think when you try to eliminate distractions, you know, I think what they did last week was more just, this is business as usual type of thing. You know, I don't, it, the, the, his situation didn't get addressed because in thir- until Thursday, because he was forced to address it because right. of the, uh, the information that got thrown out there on social media that he was going to be named the, the Louisville coach on uh, Monday, the 26th. So his hand was forced to, uh, address it with his team, something he, he says he doesn't normally do, but felt like he, he had to, and then he had to address it 
with us. You know, and, and if people don't know, he's called that tweet slash report. I, I really don't know what to call it, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, it wasn't a report per se. It was a somebody. Well, you know, it's his somebody version put it, of a report. Yeah. I mean, no, that, that's what it is. I mean, listen, it's. We went through this with the Tennessee situation, as we talked about that. We went through this when Daryl Hazel was fired and Jeff Brom was hired to that interim period where there was all sorts of rumors out there about everybody from Les Miles to P.J. Fleck to um, Newt Rocky. I don't know, just everybody who could possibly be brought in as the head coach at that point. I always wanted to cover Newt Rocky. <laughs> well, without some uh, some serious smelling salts and a, a space heater or something, that wasn't going to happen. Um but you've got to just people just have to be more diligent in how they receive this information. I'm not going to get on somebody who reports something because we've all done this. We all have to sort of trust a person with their sources. I would just say that it's conspicuous to me that literally nobody else is reporting the same thing. ESPN is not kind of picking this up as a report that it's putting out there, even though he's an ESPN employee. And he himself put a lot of qualifiers on whether or not it was even going to come to fruition. But the 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 world that we live in now um, forces these things into the conversation. By the way, so did Louisville. Louisville firing Bobby Petrino when it fired him. Everyone in the world knows that the first speculation goes to Jeff Brom. And I, if I were Jeff Brom, I'd, I'd maybe be a little annoyed by that. Maybe Louisville's got to do what it's got to do. But I think Louisville, the timing of Louisville's decision also kind of put this in the middle, put it in Purdue's lap, put it in Jeff Brom's lap in the middle of his season with Purdue. And that uh, they had to know that that would happen. Oh, no question. Uh, but just kind of back to how last week unfolded is, you know, he had to address it and he addressed it with us. And he just, you know, the only thing he said was that report was false, completely false. There's no truth to that. He, you know, he didn't address the bigger picture of it all as far as, okay, what's going to happen after the bucket game type of thing. And at that point, I'm not sure he knows. You know, he, he knew what was going to happen, and I'm, I don't know if he knows what's going to happen right now. I mean, the only things that, 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 you know, we're pretty certain of is that he will have a conversation with Louisville, and he should, and find out exactly what they have in store for him, what they're going to offer him, and then go from there. And if if he wants to go home, there's really nothing Purdue can do to stop that. You know, the question is, is if and when he gets an offer from Louisville, what should Purdue do? What's the – how much is too much? How much is moving into a, a place where Purdue doesn't need to go – from a financial standpoint. Uh, so, I mean, that's to me, that's kind of the interesting question. You know, there's, you know, people would say, well, just double his salary and um, stuff like that. But this is not, while this is about Jeff Brom and whatever Purdue will do for him based on this or based on what kind of season they, they end up having, um, it's, it, it is an investment in Jeff Brom and his staff, but it's also an investment in... Uh, guys like George Karloftis, this 2019 class, uh, and other talented guys that they, they've assembled so far, potentially David Bell from Warren Central, right. Milton Wright, who has committed a uh, top receiver from Louisville, Marvin Grant and Jalen Graham, two safeties, uh, and secondary guys from Detroit. So you're 
whatever you, whatever Purdue is planning to do or feels like it has to do, the investment goes beyond Jeff Brom. It goes into this 2019 class. It goes into who you're recruiting in 2020. I mean, it goes far beyond Jeff Brom, in my opinion, because if Jeff Brom does leave right now, you're going to have serious collateral damage oh, yeah. to this program from a recruiting standpoint, and and you're going to have the narrative again that oh, Purdue can't Purdue can't hang on to a coach, right. even though the circumstances here are completely different than right. what they were a year ago with Tennessee. So whatever Purdue wants to do, thinks it should do, um, the investment that they would make, it, I think, goes far-reaching beyond just one guy. Yeah, and and that the ramifications are bigger than they used to be because you have a shorter amount of time now between the end of the season and the first time when somebody can sign. So if you lose recruits that follow the coach somewhere else or just decide to go somewhere else and they sign other places, you've got a very short window to now go find new guys, to go pull guys from other places where coaches have gotten fired, I guess, or or maybe the guy you're hiring, maybe he can bring a couple guys. But there's a very quick scramble, whereas it used to be that didn't happen until February. Um, you had a little bit more time to play with. It would still hurt you, but now there's a, a greater sense of urgency for all this to turn around really fast. Well, the the you remember the last time Mike Babinski had six weeks right. to kind of figure out who he wanted, right? And you were able to kind of work through that process at a slower pace compared to at the end of a season and with signing day coming, it all comes at you really fast. And I'm confident that. Mike Bobinski and the board and president and they've got their list ready to go if if Jeff leaves. Right. I mean they're gonna they're gonna act and they're gonna act quickly. Uh, they won't be caught uh, off guard by it. Uh, they're they're going to be ready and prepared, but it's going to be a different situation. You've got to you've got to move fast in a short period of time in order to get somebody in place to fill out this recruiting class that will split split apart there's just no no question about that right. but you know but we're also just kind of trying to cover all the bases here as far as what may happen as we get to the end of the bucket game on Saturday and you get into next week where you know I, I just don't see this thing dragging out a no. long time no I mean he's if, if, if he's going to talk to Louisville face to face it's going to happen Saturday night Sunday morning Monday type of thing and then I'm confident Purdue's not going to let this drag they're going to they're no. going to want an answer sure and and if he does leave, they're going to want the full value of the buyout, which will be five million dollars before December fifth. Uh, so this thing is going to get taken care of one way or the other here in the next, probably within the next week. I mean, there are professional courtesies being paid on both sides here right now. Jeff Brom, I think, as I've said all along, owes it to himself and his family to consider this opportunity once he's done with his Purdue immediate season obligations. You know, Purdue probably. Un, considering this situation to some extent deserves, you know, he deserves the, op they deserve to give him the opportunity to look at it. But then like you're saying very quickly after that, I think professional obligations then become, um, Fisher cut bait. Yeah. Um, you, you yeah. either take the job or you don't. So everybody can move along and all those, and also Louisville, they, they did their, they started this process a couple weeks ago for a reason too. They're starting their groundwork. I think you're right. I think though, if there is a change to be made, I think Mike Bominski, I'm sure they'll employ a search firm again, as they've done in the past, uh, as they did to find Mike Bominski, as Mike Bominski did to help with the Brom search. However, I, I don't think it's a situation where 
you call these guys, and then a little while later they bring you a list of names. You're like, oh, I've never heard of this guy before. Let's. I mean, you've already, you know, you kind of already know. I think it's a, and you you use those those firms more sometimes to do background checks, to run interference a little bit, or do back channel communications that you can say that you're not involved with. Well, they just need to find out who's interested, and that's right. what those search firms are for. Correct. Yeah. Those, those search firms, search firms do the the legwork, the legwork to find out who's interested and. And then, then it goes goes from there. But you know, we we probably are getting ahead of ourselves a little bit with we talking are, that. But yeah. just these are the things that are going that are playing out probably right now uh, before we get past Saturday's game when you know real action starts. We're getting ahead of ourselves in terms of that part of the speculation. However, I think one thing that is going to come up is if Jeff Brom however you want to phrase it, turns down Louisville or it doesn't come to fruition, whatever, I, I think there probably is going to be another adjustment probably in his compensation or his contract or, or whatever going forward. And the question is, um, what does that have to be? And, and at what level, you know, say if, if Louisville comes forward and makes, and we, we've heard these numbers out there. I know Pete Thamel wrote something um, last week where he mentioned a number that was like seven or eight, eight million dollars. Yeah. Um, if Louisville offers Jeff Brown $8 million, Purdue is not going to match that. I would be, I, I would just don't be, see how they can. I would be shocked. No, they can. You can offer, you can, it, cause you're not paying it out right now. I mean, it's something that you, you, you know, your financial stream through the rest of this TV contract. Right. I, I don't mean can as in can't physically find well, it should i mean the, should, the they pay, should they pay a coach eight million dollars and i don't I, that's that's man <laughs> well with the stadium that only seats fifty five thousand, exactly. that you don't sell out every game exactly uh and you do have a revenue stream of tv coming tv money coming but you 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 would not you'd be more than doubling his salary right now right and then you're also adding probably more money to the assistant coaching pool oh yeah um that's just not an area i see purdue going I mean, I understand they want to make a commitment and make a statement, and you know, part of it could be that if they do lose Jeff Brom, that it becomes a really attractive job right. at that point because of because of the money that you're 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 going to pay. But that's almost more my point, though. You hire you pay him eight million dollars. What if they lose Saturday? They're going to be twelve and twelve after two seasons. So you double his salary, and then a what do you have to pay him when they actually win something? real when they win a big right. 10 west title when they win a big 10 championship what's he worth then he's worth 15 million dollars then and then b if if he leaves a year later anyway now you have already you know you've taken this to oh we're, we're a football program that pays this much so when you only offer the next guy four it looks like an insult right and it's similar to what's happening um with president daniels himself and his salary mm-hmm. you know they you know he's going to leave purdue at some point He's not going to be the president forever, right? So they have increased his salary over time. Uh, not, some, not, some of which is attainable through bonuses, right? But they've they've increased his salary over time in an effort to reward him, number one, but also not to be short when right. they're going to look for the new right. the new president to say this is kind of the, this is our salary range type of thing, right? That's why I think an eight million dollar figure, seven million dollar figure to that. To that degree, and even six million dollars, this does not seem what Purdue needs to do. Right. I don't think they need to pay Jeff Brom six million dollars to keep him. And if this becomes a bidding war, then you let him go. 
because I just that's don't, what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I know I have no ties to Purdue. I just it just makes given their given their financial situation, given their um, stadium size, and given just all the factors that go into budgeting and all that, you just can't that you you're not getting a return on that other than well you better win championships and you better take us to the Rose Bowl every year because <laughs> that's what oh, yeah. we're that's what you're paying for. Oh yeah. Um but I could see I could see Purdue getting you know at the end of his contract, his current contract, he would be scheduled to pay get paid four point five million. I could see Purdue in that neighborhood maybe up to five. But beyond that I, I just think that's a stretch, and I'm not sure. In the buyout, you would think would have to also increase um, ratio-wise. Well, like. I, it, it, the, the buyouts are tricky in, in some regard, and I do agree with Mike Bobinski when he said last year that buyouts don't stop anybody from leaving. Yeah, they just they don't. You know, if somebody, you know, five million dollars is not going to stop Louisville from getting Jeff Brom. Right. Uh, if somebody wants, you know. Alabama or Ohio State or you know whatever schools out there wants a certain coach, they're going to go pay to get him, and it's just the bottom line. And and by incorporating new buyout language into a contract, you cause potential friction between. I mean, it yeah, been, yeah, I understand that. It'd yeah. been easy in this in this latest round for Mike Wabinski to try to squeeze a Louisville provision into Brahms' contract, right? But all that would have done was cause issues, I think. And the other side of it is... Unless it was in there from the very beginning. And the other side of it is the agent is going to... If they're giving up something like that, they're going to say, well, we need the the other... We need the flip side to also be higher, which is how you get in a situation where right. Louisville's paying Bobby Petrino whatever right. it is that they're paying him right. now to, to not coach football. I mean, your buyout... Which is should, insane, Yeah, your buyout way. should be a certain percentage of what salary you're, you're getting. And, and, right. and if Jeff does leave, for example... And Purdue does get five million dollars for him leaving. That you you turn that around into hiring your new coach, and and then everything else is just kind of budgeted in the way it was going to be budgeted in with this staff. There might there probably be some increases, you know, across the board in some areas. I mean, right now his his assistant coaching staff pool is three point nine million dollars, and he doesn't use all of it, but he wants the flexibility to have more money in case that one assistant coach comes along that he has to pay a little bit more and he's willing to invest in him. Or you have to bump the guys you have up to keep them. Right. And so um, I, I just don't, you know, maybe $5 million, you know, would be something that Purdue could live with. And by doing that, what other are – you, are you gaining this through private donations? Are you gaining this through your normal budgeting process? Is this coming out of the athletic department budget? Uh, and then – how does that slow what you're going to do with the south end zone? Right. And are you going back to the same donors again to say, oh, we're going to do a $250 million project. We need some more money from you. Let's say if there are any boosters out there <laughs> listening who uh, are fearful of Jeff Brom leaving, um, you may want to reach out to L. Dick Buell and find out how that process came about to help bolster the bottom line but, of the athletic But program. Yeah, but even that is, um, you know, it's 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 yeah. It's not a significant. I mean the the, the overall dollar figure was it ten million dollars? Yes. I mean it's but yes, it's, but it's, it's over a, time. It's not right. like you get a big chunk of it on day it's, one. It's substantial, and you're only using the interest off that ten million dollar endowment, right? For and for the program, which is a half a million dollars, and it doesn't go right to his 
salary necessarily. It doesn't pay his salary. It, it goes. It, it's only for men's basketball expenses. Right, and yeah. and, and and it helps you get the that that one piece of video equipment that right maybe some of the top programs have right, and you feel like it'll help your program or it it, it helps uh, you know, in some other areas. It just, it's, it's reinforcing the foundation, kind right? It's it's just it's it's adding some more stability to uh, at, at a time when Purdue has already I think done that into the eyes of its coaches, especially right. its marquee sports coaches. It has stepped up in a lot of ways. Um, and, and really giving them some faith in in the support they're going to have going forward. And that was just one more example. But just the financial realities that Purdue lives in, it would it would benefit them to have someone like that step up for football too. Well, it's also half a million dollars that can be diverted out of the athletic budget to some other sport right. or some other need right. that, that the athletic department has to take care of at that it just it gives them more flexibility financially in, a, in an era where every dollar that's coming in you're spending pretty much i mean I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that yes you probably need a surplus at the end of the year but you don't need a great surplus you need to stack you need to stash away some cash for the for the rainy days type of thing but overall if an athletic department breaks even every year to me that's that's a good sign yeah i agree um, well, the legacies of Jeff Brom, um, we can talk about that more later. We're, you know, that's probably enough of the speculation for now, although that's something to keep track of this weekend. We probably won't know anything new as of even Saturday night when we're recording our next edition of this, but check in and, early and, next and week. He didn't get any questions Monday about it. And I, I there was really nothing new to ask him. There will be Saturday. There right. will be Saturday after that game. Yeah, but the, until then, I think it's, we're in a holding pattern. Um, but I am curious. We, I wanted to talk a little bit about this senior class's legacy. Um, they didn't get to go out of Ross State Stadium the way they wanted to. But as as Jeff Brom has gotten a lot of credit here these last couple of years, deservedly so, him and his staff, Nick Holt, Brian Brom, the whole, the whole group, um, I, I think sometimes it gets overlooked what the senior class has helped do here. Um, you know, Some of it has been in very obvious ways. It's people like um, David Blau. And in other ways, it's people who are a little bit more hidden who also have come along over the course of their career. I would say someone like Antonio Blackman, who came in as a walk-on and now is is uh, he's certainly not a perfect player by any means, but has also made contributions to wins this year yes. that this team needed. Yeah, the Ohio State win, definitely. Yeah. Right. And, and just to watch, you know, th- this was a class that, considering what they were kind of in the middle of, and and then to have to go through a coaching change in the middle of it and all the turmoil that that brings along with it, and, um, you know, uh, stuck with it. Some of that is, is the credit to, to just Jeff Brom coming in with a message that they bought into, but then the other half is the, them buying into it and potentially now finishing their career with two bowl games after and, and was in contention for just a couple weeks ago, was in contention to maybe get to a Big Ten championship game, whereas, you know, they were used to winning two or three games a year, and that was really the high watermark. Yeah, I mean, it was uh... – I called it a cruel ending for the yeah. senior class because was, yeah. you had the 14-point lead. You, I, I thought they had control of the game up until they had to kick that field goal, um, and it would have been a nice way for them to go out, clinch bowl eligibility at home, basically guarantee yourself second place in the West at that point because you, you do, you'd have won the tiebreakers with uh, Wisconsin and uh, Iowa you don't get anything for finishing second other than Jeff Brom gets a bonus. <laughs> so, but yeah, I just thought it was a cruel ending for the senior class. I just, 
Um, you know, this you know you were looking at a season where, you know, they'd beaten Ohio State, you'd beaten Boston College, you'd beaten Iowa, and if you could add Wisconsin to that, um, and then gone into this bucket game kind of with you know um, a some momentum, but b with bowl eligibility already secured, right. it would kind of take the pressure off them a little bit. But this was the same situation, not the same situation, but. It, because uh, they had they had beaten Iowa last year, so it's a different. They don't have really the momentum that they had last year. And they're not playing at home, either. and they're not playing at home. Um, and they lost two in a row. Uh, but Jeff alluded to uh, on Monday that he feels this team is better, and certain players are better when their backs are against the wall. And he specifically was talking about David Blau. It's like, okay, now your back is against the wall. There's no tomorrow here for you. And you have to come out and and do that, but he just he likes to ramp up the pressure on guys, yeah, to put them in a situation to you got to perform. I mean, this is it's either yes or no. I mean, there's no there's no third choice in this in this matter. Yeah, I, I I see where he's coming from on that. I would also say though there was still a lot at stake for that Minnesota game, and they didn't show up. There no, was a lot at stake still last week, and. Um, a very mixed effort. <laughs> well, I think. but and 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 but once so the game got to overtime, it was Wisconsin's game because that's how they were built. I mean, yeah. that's how they were built for overtime. And I'm not. Purdue needed to hold on. Purdue needed to do one of two things: score a touchdown to go up 18, then the game's over, or uh, protect a 14 point lead. And I, as I said after the game, I put more of the onus on the offense than the defense because the offense had opportunities to to extend that lead or keep the ball, similar to the Nebraska game the year before where they, they just needed to get it first down and they couldn't do it, and Nebraska comes back and, and wins the game. I'm not uh, – the defense had, its, had its, yeah. its issues. If it gives <laughs> up one less 80-yard <laughs> touchdown run, well, it wins the game. <laughs> things like – yeah, I mean, but you know, sometimes the, the other guys just – Better than you. Yes. Better, better yes. than you. Yes. We can and, get and, to that. We'll get to that in a minute when we talk basketball too with Virginia Tech, who was pretty. But good. it's just, you know it's a situation where you know Purdue had its opportunities there to to win that game. There's no question about it on both sides of the ball. But um, you, but now they're you know I think Jeff's point is okay. Your your back is truly against the wall. You kind of you had a little leeway these last two weeks, but now there's no more. You you just you have to go out and win the game and. You do whatever you have to do to win the game. It may not look pretty, but you got to go out and win the game, something you haven't done the last two weeks. If they had won last week, they would have a chance at a seven-win season. Now the best they can do is get to six. Does that affect, you think, um, which bowl they end up going to? Are they kind of locked into a narrow window right now? Well, they are, but it's also the Big Ten's only going to have eight. Hmm. Eight bowl eligible. Well, as of right now, eight bowl eligible teams because I don't expect Minnesota to beat Wisconsin. And I don't expect Maryland to beat uh, Penn State. Now, those two games could change it, but you're only going to have eight bowl eligible teams, and then you have to look at the top of the conference to see does someone make the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. Michigan would have the best chance right now, but if they stumble, they're not going to make it. You know, if they lose to Ohio State, and Ohio State ends up winning the the uh, the Big Ten championship. Can they move far enough up to get in that mix? I, I would say no right yeah, I don't now. Know if a win over Northwestern really, uh, to me, it too much. and I, you know, people don't like 
don't want to hear it because they're tired of Alabama. But even if Alabama loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, um, they're still going to get in. They're going to be yes. one of the top four teams. Yes. So you're going to have. Now, if they end up losing to the Citadel. By the way, that was a bit of a story in Charleston <laughs> over the weekend. 10 to 10 at halftime of that did game. They, did they were... take a picture of the scoreboard when it was 10 to 10? It was front page news the next morning, that's, <laughs> that's for sure. Tied with Alabama. <laughs> that was actually one of the better stories of the college season was Citadel being tied. Or if Alabama, you know, I guess the other question here with if Alabama would somehow lose to Auburn this week yeah. and then maybe drop the SEC championship game, then they're out. But well, now, yeah, two losses. Yeah. There, there's a lot of moving parts there. but if The playoffs the, have already started. Is the Right. If, 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 but if Alabama's undefeated going to the SEC championship game, they're going to be in. Yeah. And then it just – it just a lot, a lot of things have to happen, but with the Big Ten situation, a lot of it just how many, how many teams go? How many do they get one in the college football playoff, and then how many go to the New Year's Six? You're going to have one at least in the Rose Bowl, um, and then does another team go? And that kind of pushes every everybody from the bottom up. Right now, the most, you know, if if Minnesota and uh, Maryland don't qualify for a bowl. Probably the two most likely destinations for Purdue would be New York or Detroit, depending on what happens at the top. Mm-hmm. And I would probably lean towards New York right now um, if they win. Now, if IU wins, it's a different situation because they were in New York a couple years ago. Right. Uh, the Pinstripe Bowl uh, uh, goal out of this whole thing when they signed the deal was to get eight different Big Ten teams in eight years. So there would have to be some shuffling um, down – down near the bottom of the league if Indiana is bowl eligible. Does Rondell Moore help Purdue potentially get a yes. better bowl? Yes, Rondell Moore, Jeff Brom. So, you, know, if, uh, you know, if Jeff Brom is the coach and Rondell Moore is still here, let's not kid ourselves. They're tied together. <laughs> if one's, you think Rondell Moore leaves if Jeff yes, Brom leaves? I do. And he I would really sit do. out a year to play it? I, I think he would. Because wow. um, I, I, all the reasons. That's reason- dumb. Well, I think that's. Is I it? Think that's, I think it is. Yeah, you're losing but, a year. But every year. every every reason why he came here would not be here anymore. Yeah, you have no idea. You you, you may have an idea of what the offense may be. Well, what, who's going to come in and not feature Rondo Moore in the offense? Like that's. I'm just. I don't know. That's, you have to look at it from his perspective. Also, I would no. say. I mean, I, I think that's a strong possibility that he. Again, that's collateral damage to Jeff Brom leaving. It's not right. just with the 2019 class. You've got a lot of kids in this 2018 class. You got a lot of kids, a lot of freshmen right now that are here because of Jeff Brom, right. or that are here because of uh, other coaches on the staff that we would just assume would would go go wherever Jeff went. And I'm sure Jeff would want to take as much of the staff as possible. Which, by the way, Purdue couldn't complain about too much considering <laughs> plenty of West, right. Western, Western Kentucky, Kentucky yeah. kids came up here so, after Jeff um, So, yeah. But, yeah, Rondo, having Rondo Moore, you're going to have a guy that has a chance to have 100, yard, 100 receptions, which has only happened one other time in Purdue history. He's already got over 1,000 yards uh, in, in receiving. Um, he, he's the way that he has made his splash on the stage – this year, especially against Ohio State, and then the two touchdowns he had last week, which we hadn't, we've seen a lot from him, but hadn't seen that yet, which makes me wonder. Okay, well, what's next? What's he going to do? Do a somersault over a defender and get in the end zone? I mean, he's <laughs> he's a dynamic player, and it, you know, if you can keep Jeff Brom here, then you know you're adding pieces to this receiving core next year that 
allows Rondell Moore to be better right. than he is right now. I mean, right. that's why I say you, you're investing. Whatever Purdue's going to do for Jeff Brom, you're investing in not just the guy. You're investing in you know, potential being a Big West champion in two to three years, if not sooner. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we got off track there a little bit but, with the, the bowl situation. Right. But, I was going to ask, you know, we got to we go back to our preseason podcast. We both predict Purdue to be 6 and 6, although in a very different uh path than the way that they got to potentially having that record at this point. Obviously, if and if if they at that point, if they had ended up 5 and 7, we would have said, "Oh, okay, we were one game off." But now 5 and 7 really looks like a disappointing season. Well, um in context. I'll go back to what David Ball said after the Ohio State game. They didn't want the Ohio State game to be the high point. Right. They didn't want to. They didn't want this that game to be what they were remembered for in this season. Do did they want to be a uh, a five and seven, six and six Purdue team that just happened to beat Ohio State, or did they want to be a a seven eight win team that beat Ohio State? And that's to me this game coming up Saturday against IU shapes the season unlike last year. Because if they had lost IU last year, it it is it it has stung. But five wins out of that team, based on what we had seen the previous four years, yeah, they would have they would have fallen short. But it still could have been viewed as progress because of how the whole season came out. So now, do you want to be a five and seven team that lost to Eastern Michigan, Minnesota, and and IU? Or do you want to be a six and six team that beat Ohio State, Boston College, and Iowa? To me, that's what it comes down to. Right. Let's look ahead to basketball, or look back at basketball, however you want to say it. Uh, switch topics real quickly here as we close out. Uh, Purdue went two and one at the Charleston Classic, had two really good games, and uh, blew a couple teams out, and then had about I don't know thirty minutes of really good basketball against Virginia Tech. But also um, against a really good team that that really got loose for a while, and, and Purdue couldn't catch up, and those that that juncture cost them the game. They lost eighty nine eighty three in the championship game. But I, I I don't know how much if you got to watch any of this, but um, if <laughs> but uh, it, it was it was I thought it was a week where even going into that last game, I thought it was gonna it had already been a positive week for Purdue as long as they didn't look really bad against Virginia Tech. That was gonna be considered a win for the week. Um, to go down there and and show to prove themselves in a couple of important ways, one of them just being the kind of the effort they were playing with, and and usually from the start of games, coming out setting a tone, and and being the aggressor in these games and making the game be kind of played on their terms against teams that they should beat, and uh, and then also just what we saw from in terms of depth, you were getting good bench minutes from a lot of guys they were and more important than that they were getting to play a lot and and gain some important experience early in the season and uh some of the things we saw in addition to Carson Edwards being really good you saw other guys stepping up and having really kind of being the catalyst on a given night whether that was the way Nojal Eastern plays defense whether that was some of the things Matt Harms was doing whether it's what Evan Boudreaux did in the first half the other night just kind of taking over for a little bit um you know I, I came out of that thinking Purdue is both deeper probably right now and better than I thought they were going down to Charleston. Uh, you don't like to compare seasons because it's a different personnel, but they play these holiday tournaments every year. Right. And Purdue obviously last year was one and two right. when they came out and it didn't, it seemed to set them on the right path type of thing. Right. Now does this year's two and one 
looking at who they have coming up after um, playing yeah. the uh, solo competition of Robert Morris on Friday. I wish they had more guys. Robert Morris, <laughs> by the way. Well, he alone is pretty good. <laughs> it's it's kind of a novelty act, the one guy on five, and he plays 40 minutes. It's kind of like Red Panda on the, uh, little bit, yeah. <laughs> on the unicycle. Uh, but as you get past that game, when they get into really the meat of their non-conference schedule, when, and then they've got two Big Ten games in there, how does this, in your opinion, kind of lay the foundation for them as they get into that kind of three-week stretch there? You know, this week looks kind of like a boring week on paper. No games until Friday and then they play Robert Morris. But it's actually kind of a crucial week, probably, because you you kind of learn a lot about yourself in a situation like Charleston. Um, and, and and the one big difference between last year and this year, other than the they obviously they lost those first two games, but if that Purdue team had played the way it did in that first game against Tennessee and then and, and done that the same way against Appalachian State, they probably still would have won because Tennessee is just a lot better than Appalachian State. Last year's Tennessee better than Appalachian State. But... So that, that makes it hard to compare. But what they learned about themselves this week are things that they can now go into practice. You know, I thought Virginia Tech exposed them a little bit defensively in the second half. Um, you know, there, if, you're, if you go to JC Online and, and watch Matt Painter's um, postgame press conference that we posted, he goes in a really good description, I thought, of, of some of the deficiencies in ball screen defense that were happening there, the ways they were kind of getting caught. And, and Virginia Tech was doing what Purdue did in the first half, moving the ball really well finding open guys on the wings. Looked a lot like what Purdue did to a lot of teams last year, frankly, and what Purdue was kind of doing in the first half the other night. Uh, but I think this is the week where you get to, okay, you had that experience, you you watch film, you assess it, and then you get to take, especially these younger guys, get to now go into practice this week and going into next week and start working maybe more specifically on how to fix some of those things. Or, and then also, they probably gained some confidence. I mean, a guy like Sasha Stavanovich was almost the reason they were going to win that game just with his the few minutes he played in the first half the other night was going to be a potential difference maker in that game. And now that's a guy who can go into a game like at Florida State next week, like when they go to Texas, like when those, those I mean, we should, we'll talk about this more next week, but the schedule coming up after Robert Morris, they go at Florida State next Wednesday at Michigan on Saturday, which is playing tremendous. Um, I mean, one of the best teams in the country right now is Michigan, no question. Um, home against Maryland the following Thursday. Maryland also no slouch. Uh, then at Texas, and then uh, about a week off, and then home for the Crossroads Classic. Well, not home, but back in Indianapolis Indiana. for the Crossroads Classic against Notre Dame. Um, this is a really tough stretch, and we knew it from the time the schedule was coming out. And I think Purdue is is better poised to handle that stretch, partially because of the ways they were tested and the ways that they kind of responded to those tests here this past week. And I, I like the and you brought it up, and uh, I like the fact that they played their holiday tournament a week earlier than what they did a year ago, and kind of a week earlier than what normal teams do, right. because you have the big Thanksgiving week games and right. Maui and the Bahamas and all that. Right. And I like the fact that now. As you mentioned, they get probably two days of really good practice and then a day of prep for, for Robert Morris. But in those two days, I, and I think last year when they came out of the Bahamas, you know, it wasn't very long before they jumped right into, I think it was a Louisville game. 
Uh, and then you're yeah. Then oh, you're, it was, then, a, it was then, a very quick turnaround. Then last you were year. jumping into the Big Ten season and right both after those that. Were on, and both those were played in one weekend. Right. It was at Maryland, at home against Northwestern, who right. coming into the season we thought was going to be again one of the better teams. In right. The and the, but last year you're factoring a little bit more travel with the short turnaround. Yeah. This year, you you didn't have the the long flight or or whatever. But I do like the idea that they can really that Painter can really drill home. These two days in practice, I assume they're going to practice two days. They were off yesterday, and yeah, uh, yeah I think they're back. And really drill home what what happened in that Virginia Tech game, where you, I don't think Robert Morris is probably capable of doing what Virginia Tech did to Purdue, but Florida State can't. I, w- I would assume. I mean that that's a Florida that's State a, may be better than Virginia yeah, Tech. I mean, I mean that's Florida an ath- really yeah, that's an athletic team based on yes. what I've seen on TV. Not this year but more than last year that they've done a good job recruiting and they have enough athletes and enough basketball players to really cause you problems and now that they saw what Virginia Tech did to Purdue you know it's like okay it's on film let's go <laughs> let's you let's know, try that the same way Purdue does to, to other teams but I really you know I really think probably these this week of practice is probably going to be more beneficial for Purdue for this upcoming stretch um than, than maybe than maybe last year and last year you could you could you could uh, withstand that because you had, a, you had a lot of experience that that maybe you didn't need to drill home the practice yeah like they do this year with all the young kids they have last year that team had been together so long and and, and it's important to remember the word together there they'd been together right. so long seen so much basketball played so much basketball together against really good teams that I, you know I don't know that they needed the same kind of wake up that this Virginia Tech probably gave this year's team, which is a younger team. And I thought they were a little bit on their heels when Virginia Tech went on that run in the second half. That happens to every team. It happened to Virginia Tech a little bit in the first half of that game. Now maybe the next time that happens against a similar kind of team that can really get out and, and, and get after it, maybe they don't flinch the same way. Maybe they they step up and and stop that run before it gets out of hand where it was a 20 to 6 round. Yeah, you're going to have to do it on the road too cuz you're right. going to be at Florida and this State and at Michigan. And this was a neutral court where you had as Virginia Tech would later say, I mean that was a that was a Purdue it felt like a road game to them, they mm-hmm. said, because it was such a pro Purdue crowd. So congratulations to the Purdue fan base that traveled to South Carolina and I met some of you so uh, it was it was good to meet some some new faces down there led by Gene Cady. Uh, Gene Cady was down there. I didn't I didn't get a chance to talk to Gene actually but I talked to just several people from all over the place Raleigh and some people came out from Indy, people came from Louisville even so maybe they were there for a different reason but um no they were Purdue fans from from Louisville but yeah it was it was a very Purdue atmosphere there and uh they're going to be in some more adverse situations this year. And uh, for the whole game, for that 40 minutes, that was a a good game for Purdue. They didn't win it. But overall, there was more good than bad in that 40 minutes. I think they were playing a really good team. They didn't respond as well as they, I think, to their potential could have in that critical stretch. And maybe they do better next time. And I think that's going to be as much offensive execution to break up one of those runs as defensive. You know, they they had some chances to, to just get some baskets, around the rim that they could have then gone back and set up their defense. And that wasn't happening often enough. And, and Virginia tech took full advantage. So um, uh, it, we'll see that this is kind of a to be determined how, how they respond. But I think overall it was a positive week and something we can revisit later in the season, how maybe kind of like last year, does it end up being a, a change agent for this team? So uh, that's it for boilers extra this week. We will be back with you 
in some fashion after the the uh, bucket game on Saturday night. Maybe just a, a drive through McDonald's version, but because um, <laughs> that's all I'm worth apparently. But um, we'll see. And then uh, now going forward, we've been doing this on Tuesdays. Going forward, um, probably more irregular schedule just because of basketball travel can be unpredictable. Um, so we'll do the best we can to get out the word when these are going to post. But just to be safe. Go on iTunes, go on uh, Stitcher, uh, I, uh, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, whatever. Subscribe to us through one of those formats. They'll always just come right to your your uh, your app or whatever. And um, follow me on Twitter at InBearJC. Follow him on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC. And um, you'll you'll always be able to access things. So and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And go Bears. <laughs> hey, they're doing pretty well right now. I don't uh, want to jinx it. Getting greedy now. Uh, you know, I looked at this uh, three-game stretch, hoping for two and one. Now they're two and zero. Oh, yeah, and go for go for three and zero. Oh. Well, it's kind of like Purdue. Like all of a sudden now, oh, maybe they can win the West. And then, <laughs> but as as Bears fans I don't will want tell the Bears you, to disappear. As Bears fans will tell you, that often doesn't work out in the long run. But the so. one thing they have that it doesn't appear a lot of NFL teams have is a decent defense. Right. It doesn't mean that and a defense that could put points on the board. Yeah, that's even that's even better. But in in today's NFL, if you give up twenty to twenty five points a game, that's not considered awful anymore. No, and and I think it's it's kind of a refreshing return to what the Bears have always kind of been. I mean, it, people I think think defense first with the Bears. And um, while you do need a, a real offense to score in the modern NFL and to win games in the modern NFL, it's kind of refreshing to see I, I, you go back to your identity and build from there. I think they've done that. Right. That's enough NFL talk. Anywho, <laughs> thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon.